Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, July the 15th. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Halfway through this month already, man. SEC media days right around the corner. Talking season is almost over, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> Seen some pretty bad takes out there, and that's going to be kind of the primary subject of today's podcast. One horrendous take uh, on a podcast that um, I'm not going to give any oxygen to or tell you the name of. No offense to the guy that did it, but, you know, it wasn't him. It was one of his guests. But, uh, you know, <laughs> some of these guys, just, uh, I, I don't know. You know, maybe it's the, the fact South Carolina has been sort of lingering in irrelevance the last few years. Maybe people just didn't like the Beamer hire, but, you know, there's an old saying, and it, it you know the po- politicians and the uh, politic media, the political media, you know, says this a lot that you're entitled to your own opinion, you're not entitled to your own facts, and um, there's some fact-free takes that I want to kind of get to. Or one, one's kind of a fact-free take. The other, the other is a matter of opinion. It kind of comes from a, another media outlet, another market in the SEC, but I uh, wanted to kind of point out some history with that one. But anyway, and that segment is brought to you by Heritage Digital. This portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is uh, brought to you by Heritage Digital. Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Uh, I'd like to say I know that feeling, but I've been taken care of pretty well during my career. But I know when things don't go right, uh, it's a pain. I used to work in the newspaper business. Believe me, those folks, uh, they'd rather cut off their arm than spend money on computers that actually work. It's a miracle the paper got out. Uh, and it made my head hurt. So does your head hurt from having to deal with the hassles? Uh, if this describes you, call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. Heritage is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, your productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Hard to make money when the the internet and your system's running slow and all that good stuff. We live in a digital world now. Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network works correctly all the time for one low monthly fee. With clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. Again, if you are sick and tired of constant computer and network issues, call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today, 843-664-8989, and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business. And they have a 100% money-back guarantee on their website, you can go there and fill out a form. Be sure to tell them that you heard this ad on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. It's heritagedigital.com, uh, spelled how it sounds, heritagedigital.com. Uh, they're a company that's uh, Gamecock affiliated and a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, uh, this first segment. So 
Look, um, Dennis Dodd works for CBS Sports. Uh, known him for a long time. Uh, obviously, you know, really have always had a good relationship with him. I think he's a good guy. Uh, but uh, he's not doing so hot with the Gamecocks. <laughs> um, you know, we all remember right before Shane Beamer got hired, and we all know that if you've listened to this podcast or gotten on the bigspur.com, that sort of the three finalists for the jobs were, were Beamer, Billy Napier of Louisiana, and Scott Satterfield of Louisville. Uh, he released an article, Hugh Freeze is the leading candidate for the job until he's not. And, you know, if you know anything about the search, you know, things didn't progress with Hugh Freeze past a very preliminary inquiry about the South Carolina job. Uh, and, and this was weeks after that happened. So, so, so there, that's kind of strike one, I guess. So we move forward and, you know, as part of, and this wasn't all Dennis, but as part of CBS, uh, you know, they ranked Beamer 65 out of 65 uh, power five head coaches. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, talked about the false narrative or the lazy narrative that he'd never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. And uh, I know some of you out there that weren't fired up about the hire think that that's a big deal, but it's not. Uh, and I'll continue to point out that, you know, outside of Nick Saban, zero head coaches that were offensive and defensive coordinators have won the college football playoff. Uh, and the other three that have won it would be Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, and Ed Orgeron. I'm not comparing Beamer to those guys. Obviously, he hadn't coached a game. Uh, I'm just merely pointing out that your, your success as an OCDC does not necessarily translate to a success as a head coach. Uh, you want more options or, or more uh, folks to, to kind of wrap your head around. Uh, on that category, well, I will point out Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. He's 104 and 79 uh, in his career at Northwestern University. His alma mater, which is hard. Northwestern's a hard job. He's won two out of three Big Ten division titles there. Uh, and so I think that when you sort of look at his career, he's going pretty well. Uh, everybody loves P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. And what he did at uh, Western Michigan was outstanding. P.J. Fleck has never been a coordinator. Uh, we all are impressed with Matt Campbell uh, and what he's done. Now, Matt Campbell has been a coordinator, but it hadn't been for very long. He's got a year of being OCO line at Mount Union, which is kind of a co-coordinator. Run game coordinator one year. Uh, run game coordinator another year. Offensive coordinator, offensive line at Toledo before he got promoted for the job. So it's not like Matt Campbell's been out there dialing up a bunch of ball plays and has that success. But I'll give you Matt Campbell's been a core offensive defensive coordinator because he has. He's had the title. So I just wanted to point that out. Similar to Matt Brown, who was an offensive coordinator one year at Oklahoma when they ran the wishbone. And other than that, it's just been a head coach or position coach and, and all that. So that's uh, – Mac Brown's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Lou Holtz, same thing, never a coordinator, if you want to get into the uh, future Hall of Famer guys. Uh, but, you know, you talk about Fleck, you talk about Fitzgerald, um, you know, you talk about Dabo, you talk about Ed Orgeron, you, you, you know, these guys, I mean, it, it, it's not – 
as simple as just saying even the, the, the vast majority of successful head coaches were successful OCs, DCs. Top head coaches come from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, and it's a significantly different job, especially nowadays uh, when you're dealing with, you know, this generation trying to keep everybody on tax. There's new things like NIL we've talked about, transfer portal. Um, it's, a, it's a different job being a head football coach. I think Steve Spurrier would even tell you that, you know, Spurrier made a, was a brilliant head coach in a lot of ways that he doesn't get credit for. Wasn't just dialing up ball play sort of the way he managed the team and, and, and sort of um, didn't put pressure on his guys to win and, and had kind of the, a unique approach to being a head coach. But, um, you know, you, you, you sort of look at it and, you know, he, he'd even tell you when he got out, look, it's about recruiting and all this other stuff nowadays. Um, so, so there you go. That's, um, that's the long and short of why I think that it's a, it, it's a little lazy to, to, to rank a guy 65th out of 65 just because he's never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. And, and they say coordinator, but Shane Beamer has been a coordinator. He's been a recruiting coordinator and special teams coordinator which helps you become a head coach because recruiting coordinator, you're paying attention to the roster and putting numbers together, scholarship limits, talking about who you're going to target, assigning coaches to be on the road. Uh, and special teams coordinator, you're coaching every position basically because that those units have guys from all over the team. You're talking to the whole team. So I, I don't buy that, but you know, Dennis didn't have, everything to do with that they vote on that and so that's uh that's sort of the deal there well on the podcast yesterday um and it, it surfaced yesterday i don't know when they recorded it so i asked dennis about shane beamer and he goes well i don't know you know i, don't, I just don't know and, and that's fine because i don't think any of us really know but then he goes shane beamer's never recruited at this level before there's your red flag. Um, and so compared to like a Brian Harson at Auburn, you know, Harson probably has an advantage over him. And uh, okay, so <laughs> let's let's unpack this. All right, Brian Harson, outside of one year as the co-OC and quarterbacks coach at Texas, he's been on – either at Eastern Oregon or on the group of five level at Boise or Arkansas state his entire career. Uh, and Auburn right now, and look at, this is not about Auburn and piling on their recruiting class because I, I think it's going to be fine. Uh, I know Auburn people are sort of freaking out. I'm not being critical of Auburn, but they're last in the sec and have five commitments and their fans are about to pull their teeth out. Um, so, you know, South Carolina, obviously it's early in these team rankings of I'm not going to be a hypocrite because South Carolina is ranked in the top 15 right now, or top 20. And all of a sudden say, these are the greatest things ever, because I've been clear that, you know, you got to kind of look at them differently than you do just rankings like the polls. Um, and I'm going to stick by that. And I'll admit that. And I don't think it's everything, but you know, South Carolina's last time I checked was top half of the sec in recruiting, and doing pretty well and is actually ahead uh, of the game in terms of uh, getting commitments, you know, building relationships. 
all that good stuff. And so I, I, I don't know under what circumstance you can kind of look at the facts and say, number one, that Beamer hasn't recruited to this level because Beamer's been on the power five level his entire career, you know, starting with Tennessee, Georgia Tech as a GA, then Tennessee, then Mississippi State, then South Carolina, then Virginia Tech, then Georgia and Oklahoma, which, you know, the national guys uh, should know are two of the top programs in the country. At Oklahoma, he recruited Caleb Williams, five-star quarterback out of D.C. Uh, Virginia Tech, he was monstrous on the trail. Georgia, he signed some guys. South Carolina, he did a good job. So, so I, I just, you know, you, you t- never recruited at this level. He hadn't recruited as a head coach, but neither has Brian Harson. Um, and obviously, you know, when you look at Brian Harson's career, you know, two years at Texas as the OC under Mac Brown, obviously he probably learned a little something about recruiting there. It's just, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you put that together with having a command of the facts. It's it's probably the worst take on the Shane Beamer hire I've heard. And there are a lot of ridiculous takes out there that I don't agree with, but at least you can kind of explain them. You know, you can say, well, you know, you just don't know because you didn't have, you know, there's nothing, there's no stats there to hang your hat on um, in terms of production and, you know, like like the Texas folks are excited about Steve Sarkeesian because Steve Sarkeesian had a record-setting offense last year uh, for the national champions. You know, just like people were excited about Steve Spurrier coming in because they, they thought the Gamecocks were going to score a bunch of points, and they did at times. Uh, people were excited about Brad Scott getting hired because he was the OC for the mighty Florida State Seminole National Championship team, of course. He left Mark Rick down there, and uh, Mark Rick did pretty good as well for for that group. But, you know, yeah, there's nothing to kind of hang your hat on in terms of stats and and things like that. He didn't coordinate a powerful defense. You know, he wasn't a head coach at the power at the group of five level like Harson, 69 and 19. And had that been what was said, it's not a bad take. Okay, you know, Harson has won 69 out of 88 games as a head coach, you know, Beamer's never been a head coach. Uh, Therefore, I'm sorry, 69 out of 88 at Boise. He's 76 out of 100 overall. So he's a winner. You you say that, oh, he's got a little bit of a leg up because, you know, you can't argue with the winning percentage. Then, um, yeah, it's all good. That'd be the biggest homer of all time if I sat here and told you that Brian Harson was going to be a dramatically inferior head coach uh, at Auburn than Shane Beamer at South Carolina. I, I just, you know, you, you can't, I don't think anybody could say that. I mean, I, I don't think Frank Beamer could say that. I, you know, it's just, <laughs> he's got a track record. Shane doesn't. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. Auburn's a better job than South Carolina. You know, I mean, so. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sitting there saying anything about well, Harson's a bad hire and Beamer's going to be, but I, I'm just talking about like the point that was made. He's never recruited at this level. Well, that's, you know, where's he been Gardner Webb for 20 years? I mean, I, I no offense to Gardner Webb, the running bulldogs, but uh, you know, Beamer's been at some pretty big programs and gotten in some pretty big recruiting battles. Last time I checked, 
and won his share. So, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 that's like, that would have been like saying when Ed Orgeron got the old Miss job. Oh, he's never recruited at this level. <laughs> Basically, that's all Ed Orgeron did at Ole Miss was recruit, set up Houston Nutt for two wins, and then Houston Nutt kind of tanked out there. You know, that would have been like saying that about the Ed Orgeron hire when that hire was 100% about recruiting because they were unhappy with the talent level that David Cutcliffe had assembled, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was back in 2005. But, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron ultimately did not work out at Ole Miss. But I don't think you could realistically sit there and say, well, you know, he's never recruited at this level. So that may be the worst take of all time on Shane Beamer. I, I just, you know, and, and I'm not trying to pile on with Dennis Dodd. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I've got a, a lot of respect for him over the years. I'm just saying, you know, some guys with certain schools, they just don't have um, – and I've, I've covered college football recruiting on a national level. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't think I've ever said anything that fact-free about recruiting. But there's some fan bases you just don't jive with, and you end up saying things that you're like, yeah, you know, I, I'd kind of like to have that one back, and I was wrong about that. And everybody can be wrong. I mean, there's nothing – Nothing wrong with it. I mean, this is a this is a business of if you bat 600, you're doing a good job because it's so unpredictable and, you know, such a unique sport. Um, and I think really with any sports, because that's why we like sports. If we knew everything ahead of time, we wouldn't tune in because where's the fun in that? Uh, that's why some of you that are, are, you know, think that Alabama and Clemson will, will, will just continue to, and, and Ohio State will continue to, dominate college football and the gap will widen. I think you're wrong because that's uh, another thing against those programs, but you know, nothing lasts forever in this sport. And I think a lot of people thought Nebraska and Miami would rule forever too, back in the nineties. Um, you know, it's cyclical you know, South Carolina. And I'm talking about national college football now, not kind of where South Carolina fits in. Obviously they have not uh, broken through, Almost did under Spurrier, but they have not broken through. Uh, you know, in this sport in general, it, it is cyclical. Nothing, nothing lasts forever in college football. It just doesn't. Um, Alabama's the biggest dynasty I think we've seen in our lifetimes in, in this sport. Uh, and, and even they don't win it every year, right? So, you know, there's something to be said. And I think the expansion of the playoff is going to help a lot of people kind of breathe a little easier. You know, same four teams every year that, you know, the the, the big pick this year is, is Oklahoma is going to break free, through and win it. I guess it's their turn. But everybody's picking Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama to go to the, the, the four-team playoff. Um, I don't think we realized that the four-team playoff, when they introduced it, would be this exclusive. Uh, and so they're going to expand it, and I think that'll be fine. Um, but like I said, some some guys just kind of hit a rut when with certain programs, and I, I think it's probably what Dennis is going through right now. But, you know, you kind of stack everything up, and you're like, wow. Um, you know, so, you know, nothing against Dennis Dodd and other work he does, but uh, that was the worst Beamer take I've heard. Uh, the absolute worst take of the Beamer hire uh, that I've heard um, the whole time. 
Uh, and it's just bad. I mean, it's, just, it's terrible. I mean, I, I don't know what other way to put it. The second take that I thought was sort of bad, and, and look, this is up for debate because I get where John Adams from the Knoxville News Sentinel is coming from. And this appeared actually in the Jackson, Mississippi paper. I think they're owned by the same people. and It was kind of syndicated, but there was a column about Tennessee being out recruited by Missouri, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And that is factual right now. You know, Tennessee, I think with all their issues they've had, they're they're struggling on the recruiting trail, and they lost 39, 40 players to the portal. Um, Gamecock fans aren't going to agree with me on this. I, th- I think that the 25, a big case study for expanding the 25 signee rule uh, is Tennessee because uh, they may be put on probation and it may be bad. And, you know, when you hear things through the grapevine, it does not look promising, but they're not yet. And, you know, in this country, we, we sort of have due process. And uh, when we talk about the law, that's not the NCAA, but, you know, when, you, when you're talking about, you know, they're going to have hearings and investigations and, and things like that. And so the, the final result is not out. You know, even things like the McDonald's bags are kind of up for question. Although I think the McDonald's bag thing was hilarious. Uh, But at the same time, you remember Tennessee was recruiting during a pandemic when nobody was coming to campus. So the question then becomes, well, how are they giving out money in McDonald's bags if, you know, nobody's on campus? Did they have an agreement with the McDonald's? I I don't know. You know, I I don't know. You know, so those are questions that need to be answered. Yeah, they've lost 40 players, and they can't make up those numbers. Uh, and one of the biggest, worst things about probation for fan, for fans is the bowl, you know, not being able to go to a bowl and banned from the postseason or whatever. For coaches, it's the scholarship reductions. Because, I mean, you know, people want to know why Lane Kiffin can win at Florida Atlantic and have an exciting offense at Ole Miss and – you know, be a respectable head coach again and all that uh, and didn't do well at Southern Cal, it's because he inherited a probation deal where they killed them with scholarships. And that affects depth. And everybody's got – everybody gets injuries, some teams more than others, and so you're, you're trotting walk-ons out there at some point if you don't have enough scholarships. So, you know, to me, you know, Tennessee should be – you know, they should kind of lead the fight. Hey, we need more than 25 which I think does help the Gamecocks. Uh, I've gotten off track a little bit, but but what John Adams says is South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, they're out-recruiting Tennessee, but none of those schools should out – Tennessee should always out-recruit those schools. And he makes a point, and Tennessee normally does finish ahead of South Carolina in the team rankings. Um, And Tennessee, when they cycle up, they do, and when I say cycle up, I mean they usually get a new head coach at about the you know second or third recruiting cycle. They're out there signing a top ten class. Everybody's happy. You know, there's an infusion of talent, and then something happens, and you know that regime sinks. And then there's an, another one that comes in, and they have to rebuild. And the portals hit them hard. So, you know, but I think you know Kentucky took two four star kids out of the state of Tennessee and signed them. Missouri's done very well within their state so far. Uh, this cycle, they have six four-star guys. I think 
Some are from Texas and some are in state. He points that out, and that's fair. Uh, and then I think South, you know, South Carolina beats Tennessee on Prunty. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this: it's it's not as simple as saying they should out recruit South Carolina every year because I'll give you a little history lesson. In the 1990s, Tennessee routinely took top players out of South Carolina. Uh, that bled into the early 2000s to a certain extent. But really the last person they've gotten out of the high school ranks in South Carolina that the Gamecocks or Clemson wanted was Robert Ayers out of Marlboro County. And Ayers ended up being a really good player. He was a linebacker that they flipped a defensive end, and he was – I think he got drafted, played in the NFL. That was kind of the early 2000-ish, mid – almost to the midpoint, early Spurrier. But I can't remember – you know, yeah, Tennessee got Bryce Thompson. Well, he didn't have an opportunity to go to South Carolina or Clemson. Uh, they got um, uh, Tion Evans out of JUCO. Uh, they got that other kid out of JUCO that was from Carver's Bay, Byron Jones, I think's his name last cycle. So, so they and you know South Carolina was in the mix for both, but you know they hadn't come into South Carolina beat the Gamecocks head to head on on very many players at all. Um, and really, the Gamecocks have sort of split with them uh, with Georgia kids. Uh, J.C. Horn was committed to Tennessee, ended up coming to South Carolina. Um, you know, th- there's been players in the state of Georgia that the Gamecocks have beaten the Vols on over the years. This year, Gamecocks beat him for Ryan Brubaker, Grayson Maines, and I think Case and Henry, all three offensive linemen. Um and so out of state, too, South Carolina's won more than its fair share uh, against the Vols. Now, the Vols signed more five stars? Absolutely. And if you're just looking at the rankings, yeah, sure. They've had higher rated classes than the Gamecocks. But uh, I sort of take exception to it. Now, now, look, Missouri and Kentucky, they're a little bit different. And Missouri is recruiting uh, numerically pretty well. But Gary Pinkle and Barry Odom sort of had a philosophy and a system that worked for a long time at that institution. And they won a lot of games because Missouri used to be awful. Um, and, and I think because of, of what Eli Drinkwitz is doing in-state, that's big for them. I mean, that's a big deal for them. If they were just out there signing four-star guys from, you know, low four-stars from Texas or wherever, I would kind of take pause. But, you know, they're actually – you know, signing a hunk of the in-state talent at Missouri, which has always been the key, just like it is in South Carolina, always been the key to their program. Uh, Kentucky uh, is an evaluation school. You know, Mark Stoops and his staff do a great job of evaluating. Yes, they have some more highly rated guys, and yes, they swipe those kids out of Tennessee, and that's got to that's got to make them happy. <laughs> but you know. You could argue that Kentucky has out-recruited Tennessee for years now, you know, even though they, for some reason, struggle in that game, with the exception of last year's 34-7 to win in Knoxville. Uh, yeah, they, they uh, Tennessee is to Kentucky kind of like Kentucky has been to South Carolina. Um, you know, so I, I think that's a little bit misguided as well. You know, so South Carolina with the head-to-head and Kentucky with uh, – well, we've got better players, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've got a better team uh, and they have. So, you know, and that, that was 
I, I thought it was a bad take uh, because, and, and again, this is probably somebody that doesn't really dig into recruiting all that much, uh, you know, because you got to look at the facts and who's beating who and all that good stuff. But it wasn't as egregious as saying Shane Beamer has never recruited in the, at this level. So therefore, a guy like Brian Harson at Auburn, who has a grand total of two years experience on the power five level as an assistant or as a coach at all, um, you know, uh, that, that, that's, that doesn't fly. Um, and again, if you wanted to talk about head coaching record, conference championships, division titles, Brawl, I mean, a uh, Brawls finalist, I mean, Brian, you know, Brian Harson's resume obviously speaks for itself, but this was about recruiting. Shane's never recruited at this level. What, 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 I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, it, it literally was the worst take ever. The Adams take about Tennessee, I think, is more nuanced, and I think you can construct an argument either way. I still think it's a bad take. I'm not going to back down from that. But, you know, yeah, if you just glance at the rankings, Tennessee does usually have higher-rated classes than South Carolina. Hasn't paid off for them much. And a lot of those guys that were pretty highly rated are gone out the door. Um, and, and I think losing Karon Pronti – to the Gamecocks surprised them, and I don't know why, uh, but it surprised them a little bit. You know, I think they expected to get him. Oh, it's just South Carolina. They've been struggling too, whatever. But uh, Gamecocks, Torian Gray, Shane Beamer, Clayton White, those guys made that happen. And that was huge for South Carolina, South Carolina I think. I think it would have been huge for Tennessee because, you know, you lose all those guys and, you know, Prunty would have probably started there as well. And so that's uh, those are two bad takes. <laughs> I just uh, you know I, I I I've been a little subdued about it just because I uh, like I said prior to the most recent coaching search at South Carolina I didn't necessarily agree with Dennis Dodd on everything, particularly some of the COVID hot takes, but. He's always kind of been a guy I read and enjoyed reading. So I don't know what's what how this thing got wonky with the Gamecocks, but it's my job to cover the Gamecocks and to kind of push back and talk about things like that. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. All right. So Mike Wyman. Uh, receiver for the Gamecocks, four-star guy coming out, um, committed to the Gamecocks, Greensboro, North Carolina, um, was a guy that uh, was highly touted. Uh, he leaves the uh, program and uh, transferred out. That's only the second guy from the 2020 class the Gamecocks have lost. Uh, and I want to say this, we have a listener that keeps telling me, well, I know all those guys redshirted, but every other school in the country did this and blah, 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 blah. Whenever I bring up that the 2020 class is intact and they all redshirted, um, go and look and see how many players out of 2020 a lot of other schools have lost. Now, some have lost none, but some have lost a significant number. Um, you know, so, so my point has always been, and I, it's Gamecock focused here, that you know, I, I, I'm not really talking about other schools and all that, but if you do want to get into a comparison, see how many schools have, you know, now are only missing two from that class. 
just go check that out and get back to me. Um, you know, yeah, I have, I have one listener that continues to just, oh, well, that's not the big deal. And you keep talking about it and everybody else does it. Well, that, well, you know, all the other schools have their entire 2020 class save two people uh, intact. Uh, I don't know. And then did they do it during a coaching transition? That's another question. You know, I mean, that that's the thing. And, uh, I, and I don't know, you know, when I talk about roster building, uh, I think before you can start talking about, well, you know, you, you need talent upgrades across the board and all this, you, you got to get your numbers right. And you, you've got to make sure that, you know, you have enough. Uh, and I mentioned depth earlier, you know, you're trotting walk-ons out there at some point uh, if you don't have enough depth and, um, you know, filling needs and all that, that's fine. I, I never sit there and say, I've never done this, even with the best recruiting classes, that a recruiting class will lead to a – this class is going to lead to a championship. That's never what I'm saying. I'm talking about roster building. And, I, and I've been in this business 15 years and studied it and looked at it, and I'm more than qualified uh, to talk about how to build a roster at South Carolina, um, you know, because I've seen it done before. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp, unfortunately, while he was there, you know – appeared to be doing a good job. You had a lot of injuries and a lot of missed evaluations at, at two specific pos- positions that, you know, you never know, but, and, and, you, and you don't know about these guys, but numbers wise, you know, you, you start looking at it and um, Beamer's well on his way and he's actually ahead of where Muschamp, Spurrier, Holtz, whoever else has taken over this program started. And that's another big point of comparison too. So anyway, Mike Wyman, four-star receiver, enters the portal yesterday. He's out. Um, four-star guy coming out of high school. I, I can tell you that, you know, looking at him, his ranking dropped. Now, I'd say this. His junior film was good. Uh, went up and got the ball pretty well. Um, fast enough, that kind of thing. But, you know, he was kind of one of those guys that peaked his junior year of high school. This is another reason sometimes rankings – you know, we're, we're, we get to be stubborn and won't drop a guy, but, uh, you know, they probably weren't as good as you thought. He had offers from sea to shining sea, uh, including Oklahoma and some other schools. Um, did not have a good senior year. Did enroll early. You know, did, did a lot of things people ask him to do. Uh, practiced hard. <laughs> But just wasn't a guy that, you know, projected to play. Uh, he, you know, you never heard about him. Gamecocks had issues at receiver. Um, and you never heard about Wyman making any noise at all last year or this year. So, you know, he wasn't projected to play a whole lot. You know, the headlines, and I love it, former four-star leaves. And, you know, people act like this is a big deal. It's not. Uh, he was just simply a guy that probably needs to go down a level or two uh, in order to get playing time. Uh, good kid, good family, uh, you know, nothing sinister there. Uh, you know, and, and I thought when you look at the number of receivers you have on scholarship, there's going to be some guys that leave uh, at that position specifically, you know, just because they're, they're a little heavy uh, and they're not – 
overtly talented or overly talented. Overtly, is that a word? I don't know. So I uh, I really think that, um, you know, that, that was one of those things where you look at and you go, well, no, it's not a big deal. Now, I'll say this, the team talent index, which I think is not – I think it's sort of worthless in a lot of ways um, because it doesn't account for anything but the high school star rating. And I'm convinced that as, a, as an industry, a recruiting industry, we're clinging to those longer than we should. An entire media industry that covers college football is clinging to those rankings longer than you should. There should be no reason, no reason uh, that – People say adding Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick to Georgia's roster puts them over the top for a national championship just because they were rated five stars out of high school. You know, and nothing against Darian Kendrick, talented as the day is long, but it, did you watch him in games <laughs> at times? You know, um, and Eric Gilbert, you know, if he qualifies, yeah, gets, you know, his grade straight, but he's been to three schools in a year. LSU transferred to Florida. Looked like he was going back to LSU. Now he's back to Georgia. I mean, I mean, how, how do those two guys, you know, how do you look at those two guys and and, and be fair to Kirby Smart and UGA and say, oh, that, those are going to be the difference? Um, how so? There's a lot of question marks there because they had five stars coming out and you want to cling to that? Like Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic cling to the raft when he was freezing. I don't know. I talked about being wrong earlier uh, when you're covering this sport and this game. And, you know, to me, I would want to cover my butt and, and not worry so much about being wrong about a ranking, which I know rankings are projections, and sometimes projections are wrong in this game. Think about the NFL draft and how many they get wrong. You know, that, that's just part of the game. I'd rather be right right now. Um, and, and, you know, that's why the, the, the transfer rankings or whatever, uh, I think they need work industry-wide because I, I almost think you need to have guys there that are, that are able to separate the ego of ranking players out of high school and the desire to be right on those players with actual production and talent at the collegiate level. You know, when K-Ron Prunty is talking, when you're talking about him being a sleeper, I mean, that guy, you know, that's not a sleeper. That's a proven player at the Power 5 level uh, in, in an offensive happy, pass-happy offensive conference that didn't give up a touchdown and 38% completion percentage against it as a freshman. That's a proven player. It's not a sleeper. Is he a sleeper because he's going from Kansas to South Carolina? Is he a sleeper because he had three stars out of highs? That's not a sleeper. Come on, is Kevin Harris still a sleeper? Anyway, that's uh, that's my little rant on that. Mike Wyman leaving. Um, love the ridiculous headlines. Former four-star guy leaves. I mean, so, so what's the point of that? So what are you trying to tell your audience there? This is a big loss for South Carolina? <laughs> Wyman was probably 13th out of 13, probably 14. That's a big loss right now. I don't know. You know, some, some, some guys like to just talk about star ratings all the time, uh, especially when they're trying to criticize the program 
in the media and, and, and paint the narrative that South Carolina is never going to catch up and all this good stuff. You know, never mind the parade of three-star players at every school in the SEC, probably outside of Bama, uh, that have done well. You know, Georgia's only first-round pick from the state of Georgia, UGA, uh, first-round pick from the state of Georgia. And I think this may have been their only first-round pick this year. Um, Eric Stokes, three-star corner, 85 was his rating. I mean, you know, nobody lends any kind of credence to that. And and people are right that over time, the more four- and five-stars you recruit, the better your chances are to win big. Uh, you know, people completely misinterpret the blue-chip ratio. The blue-chip ratio is simply if you don't have I – mean, or simply this – no team without more than 50% four and four off star players on their roster, scholarship roster, uh, has won a national championship. Clemson is the closest one, and they were like 50.8, something like that. Just a little over. A lot of three-star players on, um, on that Clemson team that won the first one against Bama in 2016, and the winning touchdown was caught by a no-star, walk-on, former walk-on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, nobody talks about that. Uh, and look, I'm not trashing the star system because I'm not a guy that's going to sit here and go, it doesn't matter because it does, but, but it matters more in the broad sense than the specific sense. And I think that the toxic part of it is you have fans and, and because they don't, you know, fans are fans. Fans want to know how good's my team going to be? How good is this player? Let's get excited. Let's have hope. And, and, and like it or not, those four and five stars give you more hope than the threes. But it's become toxic in the sense, you know, around South Carolina, prior to Beamer getting there, I think I've on the BigSpur.com and this podcast, I've sort of, you know, beat the drum to stop it. But, you know, people get toxic and they're like, oh, he's only three stars. And, and, they, and they, this player has never stepped foot on campus. Uh, he's not lifted a weight. He's not called a pass, thrown a pass, toted a football, not put on the pads. You're already like trashing it. And kids see that nowadays, on, especially on social media, on Twitter, which is uh, ridiculous. You know, you hear, why are we getting all these three stars? And what does that mean to that kid that just committed to your school over, by the way, about 10 or 11 power five offers? You know, just because he, you know, he's an 88.9 instead of an 89.9, that one little point, that, that that's this big cavern. You know, what, what does that kid think about the fan base he's about to go play for? What does a kid that, you know, the coaching staff really wants uh, think about that fan base that, that trashes that kid? And so that's the number one bad thing it's led to. And the number two is like I talked about earlier, the transfer portal and the fact that people are still clinging to the star ratings, you know, when they really don't matter, you know, Oh, this guy was a five-star. We have to, we have to put him up in the top 15 of the transfer rankings. Well, has he performed like a five-star in, in college? Uh, if he's an older player, he obviously hadn't because he'd be in the NFL right now. So anyway, Mike Wyman, uh, wish him the best. Pretty good kid. Pretty good family. Really good family. Really good kid, actually. 
Uh, just didn't work out. Probably was not uh, just that wasn't the player that he was projected to be after his junior year with 30 offers and really good film. Uh, it stinks a little bit because uh, I think if you're South Carolina and you're trying to establish inroads into North Carolina and fight battles up there, you know, it's good for your North Carolina players to pan out. And he is a North Carolina guy. Um, but, you know, that, that happened. Didn't credit Mac, you know, Mac Brown and his staff, you know, they, they said, well, we're not going to take him. Um, they took a kid out of South Carolina that was pretty speedy out of Sumter. Uh, and they said, we're not going to take him. And they ended up being right about this. But look, there's a, uh, you know, this is another example of the receiving core issues with misevaluations, uh, I think. And Brian McClendon wasn't the only one that missed on this guy, but uh, that's um, that's a miss. That's a miss in recruiting. That's something you want to definitely avoid uh, moving forward. And I, I think Justin Stepp, you know, looking at his track record, you know, he's much more likely to sign a guy that's the you know three star guy or lower that pans out really well, rather than um, a guy that goes into a uh, you know a four star guy and you know misses whiffs. That's not a guarantee because everybody misses, but uh, I think Justin Stepp's much more likely to to go the other direction with that. So Mike Wyman transfers. Um, we had breaking news during JB and Goldwater. Well, during the, uh, the podcast yesterday, uh, Gamecocks lost two baseball assistants. Skyler Mead goes to Troy and takes the head coaching job. Trip couch uh, leaves and goes to Arizona with his, his friend uh, who just took the head coaching job out there. So the coaching carousel is churning. John Whittle has some names up on the big uh, I'll, I'll share one of them with you. Matt Williams, who's a Lancaster native, uh, is the pitching coach at Liberty, used to be at UNC Wilmington, leading candidate for the uh, pitching job. But it's not not as simple from what Whittle pointed out on the, on the message board. Liberty's got money. They're offering a three-year contract for him to stay. Uh He's a pitching coach that John's told me about over the years. If you remember, he was the pitching coach when UNC Wilmington came in uh, for the regional a few years back. Wilmington's got a pretty good team program. Um, and a South Carolina native. So, you know, hey, that's a, that's a good – that would probably be a good hire for Mark Kingston and company. And I think, again, I think this is an opportunity for Kingston to kind of get some new blood on the staff – uh, recharge the batteries a little bit, get some new voices in the locker room. And, you know, when you're trying to go from good to great, sometimes you need that. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise when people leave. Uh, so we'll see kind of what happens there. Got no basketball today. Um, but, uh, you know, anything that comes up, we'll talk about that. We're still waiting on the welcome home. Um, people out there have kind of figured out a little bit who it is. I'm not going to talk about it because I, I said I wouldn't. Uh, but a video is being made. Uh, I I was never under the impression that it was going to be Wednesday. Uh, I thought Thursday, maybe even Friday, just because, you know, it always explained to me was a video is being made. It could take up to a week. Should be this week, but we don't know. Uh, and so we'll see, you know, if that news comes out today. 
if it does, I, I can assure you that I'll have uh, I'll have some reaction, you know, and some analysis on it. Uh, Mike and I will be recording tomorrow with Eric McLean of the SEC Network. Yep, that's the former Clemson player. Uh, I think there's perspective in everyone. Uh, we're going to talk ACC. Works for the ACC Network now, so that's going to be a pretty good, pretty good episode, in my opinion, on JC and Morgan. That will go tomorrow. I'm on Locked on the Gamecocks podcast for I think for patrons later today with Keith. Oh, I wanted to say this: the uh, SEC Media Days uh, reps. Everybody wants to know this. Who, who's going to be the guys that go with Beamer or whoever to uh, Birmingham? Beamer's going to be four, on Monday, next Monday, 4 to 4.30 Eastern uh, with his big press conference, SEC Network, 505 to 520, ESPN, CBS, SEC Radio, Sirius XM, and Marty and McGee. So lots of Shane Beamer on Monday. J.J. and Igbari and Nick Muse are the two selections. Florida and LSU are the other teams going that day. So you could do a Coach O and Dan Mullen, Danny Kicks. Um, you know, Nick Muse being a same uh, – Muse and Nick Barry could have left, and uh, they came back uh, during this transition, and I think that's a very positive thing uh, for the Gamecocks, and, and, and they probably are the two deserving ones to go, uh, I think, as far as seniors and things like that go. So – you know, we'll see sort of what happens there, but um, uh, that's uh, that's kind of the schedule. And you got, uh, yeah, so Beamer's 4 to 4.30. Uh, Muse is mm, 4.35 to 4.50. We'll have coverage on the thebigspur.com. Don't know if I'll have uh, audio or oh, maybe I could use the audio, uh, some of it. So that's what happened there. So anyway, uh, that's kind of all the news and notes we have. It's time for the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. And uh, Heritage Digital gets you all set up with your your network and make sure everything on the Internet's running well. iHelp Consulting simply wants you to save time and money. Uh, They're a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help your business save money on business expenses. Whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, that's a biggie for me. Internet, insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality, which is important. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. Call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp. 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Free consultation. No risk. That number again, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? Please tell them that JC sent you from the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Now it's time for the I Help Consulting mailbag. This has been kind of rocking of late. Um, two ways to get in the mailbag tweet to at the big spur pod, follow that account on Twitter as well. And then also email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. Don't have as many as yesterday, but you know, I had some things to say. And so we got plenty of, uh, plenty of content here on the pod. Derek says, I hope you're well. 
I was wondering if you read the article in The Athletic by Josh and Grace about in-state recruiting with takes by anonymous high school coaches. I thought there were some interesting tidbits. What say you? I, I, yeah, I read the article. I, I thought it was very, very interesting. Uh, I thought, you know, some of the guys that they talked to were obvious. Some weren't. I don't want to sit here and speculate on. I mean, there's a reason they were anonymous. Uh, you know, some were obvious, though. <laughs> uh, and I'll say this. If you in, in the state of South Carolina, if you ask 25 high school coaches about the college programs in the state, regardless of their fandom, because you do have some high school coaches that are Clemson people, some that are South Carolina people, some that aren't anybody. Got one at Hilton Head that doesn't want his players to ever go to an in-state school and sends them to the, the Midwest or Texas, <laughs> which I think and will continue to say, I feel like uh, if you're paid by taxpayer dollars, be it local or state-funded, and work for a public school system in the state of South Carolina, you do not owe the colleges in the state, the major programs in the state, um, you know, those kids to go there. Kids, kids should make their own decision with their families. So, so you don't, you don't owe those schools anything, you know, you don't need to push them there or anything like that. That, that that's kind of not what the deal is. Although in states that are a little larger that maybe, you know, have a little more pride. Uh, the high school coaches do help the in-state schools, you know, Georgia, places like that. Um, and some do in the state of South Carolina as well. I, I'm just saying that for this guy in particular, I, I don't think that you have any obligation to make sure players go to the in-state schools. I do think you have an obligation to encourage your players to give the in-state schools a look. I mean, even Zion Williamson gave the in-state schools a look. So come on, man. You know, I guess it's easy to get by with down there in Hilton Head. But, um, you know, I, I've just seen it. You know, and luckily, luckily enough, that school, that high school, puts out a player about every five, six years. So you don't have to worry about it. But, you know, I guess I had another feather in his cap now with Snead going and committing to Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, you can add that to the Puna Ford to Texas legacy there, you know, all that good stuff. And it's it's just, you know, with that situation, it's just kind of funny because, you know, you talk to co- college coaches and, and they talk to these kids' parents and these kids' parents are highly interested in their kids staying in state and all of a sudden they go way far away. So I don't know. Uh, maybe Puna Ford and Jalen Sneed ended up at Texas and another name anyway, but when uh, coaches make doggone sure they do uh, and they're paid by taxpayer money from the state of South Carolina, like I said, either locally or statewide, uh, I think that's a problem uh, when they're just kind of shutting those guys out. Uh, you know, give them a chance. You know, hey, I mean, and, and – same thing happens to Clemson. I mean, you know, w- w- with some of these guys, I don't know how hard Clemson recruited Puna Ford, but and, and I, I don't know what they thought about Jalen Snead either. They, they may have just not wasted their time. But you know, nobody's going to Clemson from from down there either. So I, I just, you know, I think it's a little interesting, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you can ask twenty five high school coaches in the state. Uh, about the in-state programs at college. You get 25 different answers regardless of their fandom. Uh, 
and, and you know, knowing some of these guys, I, I don't, you know, the guy I mentioned just now, there may be an agenda there. But most guys in South Carolina that coach football, most coaches on the high school level don't really have any kind of agenda when it comes to the colleges. I, I think they're really good coaches in the state. I, I think a lot of these guys um, could go coach in other states, uh, bordering states or a bordering state where salaries are higher. Uh, Cause I think there's a lot of coaching talent. Uh, and, and I think they, the high school programs in our state, state of South Carolina have a lot of pride. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes when, when there's not really a consensus, uh, but I did think they were interesting tidbits. Uh, I, I thought what was interesting, the, the most interesting comment to me was when they talked about Muschamp and very few said anything negative about Will. It was always, you know, Muschamp did this and good guy and anything I needed and all that good stuff. And and that's true. But I, I think it, you know, there, there were a couple of comments, though, about his staff. And, you know, and then a couple of comments. I mean, Coleman Hutzler, you know, didn't sign a whole lot of guys, but, uh, you know, certainly little, he, had, he had some really good comments. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is another thing, too, that maybe we didn't realize it at the time because a lot of the assistant coaches came in with big resumes um, and all that. But really, the two best recruiters outside of Muschamp himself were Mike Peterson and Bobby Bentley, who had never been, you know, recruiting at the college level before they got to South Carolina. So, so there's something to be said about that a little bit. I, I think that maybe, you know, we underestimated some of these guys going out and, and being able to build the relationships needed and, and to recruit. And in a lot of recruiting battles, the Gamecocks did win. You know, Will Muschamp kind of took the, you know, took took it over, and I, I don't think anybody would argue that Will Muschamp himself is not a good recruiter. Probably a great one, really. You know, I mean, probably a great one. Uh, but as the head coach, you know, you, you can't sit there and recruit all twenty five guys every year. I mean, that's yeah, that's impossible. You know. Head coach and probably needed to be the D coordinator too. So that's a lot on his plate. And I'm not look, I'm not sitting here defending the Muschamp era. I thought that was just an interesting thing that maybe we haven't talked about enough. Is that in some instances, some parts of his staff seem to have failed him in state. Seem to have failed him in state. But I did think it was an outstanding article. Um, I have a subscription to the Athletic. I read it um, more for the national stuff, for college football and stuff like that. But I did read that article by Josh and Grace, and I, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was a good idea for an article. Uh, so I'll go a step further and uh, did think some things were interesting in that uh, in that piece. But uh, it, it kind of laid it all out. And, you know, and I think, too, if you really look at it and, you know, this has been going on for a while now as Clemson has expanded and, so we're going more national and, you know, they're out recruiting, you know, the quote unquote best players in the country. I, I you know, and, and I, I think sometimes, you know, 
I think they're out recruiting. They are out recruiting the best players in the country. I don't think all the time people understand exactly what that is. Uh, if you look at Clemson's recruiting, there are a lot of three and low four-star guys that they end up getting that are better than, you know, some of the five stars that, you know, your programs like Tennessee, Florida State, Notre Dame, son. So, you know, I, I think they do a damn good job recruiting at Clemson, quite frankly. And uh, I think it's a blueprint for any program that wants to ascend. Um, you don't have to do it the exact way Clemson does it because I think they're very unique and every program is unique. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, they almost gave Clemson a pass. And, and I think here's the thing. Success is success. And I think it's naive to think that all these high school coaches are going to alienate Clemson coaches because Clemson isn't recruiting in-state. Now, some of them may. Um, I, I think it almost works in Clemson's favor to where when they do offer an in-state kid, there's almost an unspoken pressure to go there because, wow, you're one of the only ones that they've offered, you know, in-state. And I think they can sell that. I don't think Clemson's going to offer Antonio Williams, though. Uh, after reading Murphy Holloway's comments, to Phil Cornbluth the other day, they wanted him to work out. He's, you know, nursing a slight injury or didn't feel well, didn't think he had to work out. And they were like, okay, we're not offering. Got to get our numbers right. So I, I, after reading that, I'm not sure Clemson does offer and I'm not sure if they did late, then, you know, what the deal would be. Maybe, maybe he'd still go there. Uh, but I feel better about Antonio Williams, the receiver out of Dutch Fork, now at the Gamecocks than I did the day I put in my crystal ball. Um, and that's fine. There's a long list of players at receiver, uh, and this is a weird thing about recruiting in the state, that, that Clemson's passed on, that South Carolina signed, that are in the NFL or that have played in the NFL. And, and it's weird to say because Clemson really doesn't take a backseat to very many schools at all in terms of recruiting wide receivers. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to ask Jeff Scott, who's now the head coach of South Florida one day, like if they ever sat around and said, well, we should have we offered Debo Samuel or Bruce Ellington, you know, or Alshon Jeffrey. Or, I think back in the early days, they probably did wish they'd offered Alshon. But uh, he, <laughs> he had some pretty good games against the Tigers. But uh, – you know, you, you kind of look at it, you know, like, yeah, you know, Brian Edwards, you know, they thought he was a safety, but, uh, and Brian probably could have been a pretty good safety, but, you know, so, so it's interesting. I mean, the last three in state, I mean, you know, South Carolina, I guess it's been three years in a row. South Carolina's had an in state receiver drafted in the NFL draft, um, which is, Another astonishing thing about the current wide receivers on the roster because there's some in-state guys that left and went elsewhere and are doing well at receiver. Uh, South Carolina as a state produces its share. Um, yeah, so three years in a row, Debo and then Brian Edwards and then Shy Smith got drafted So by the Panthers. So it's, you know, there's kind of a history there. None of those guys got offered by Clemson as a receiver, so – you know, it's kind of a, it's an interesting dynamic in my, it's almost an Alabama Auburn type dynamic. Auburn will be good. Like Auburn's good at defensive back, even though 
you know, and, and a lot of the kids they get from within the state, Bama passes on, but you know, Bama's pretty good at defensive back too. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. Now, hopefully the hope is South Carolina gets its receiving core back going pretty soon. And that Antonio Williams is that next guy, you know, from within the state. Um, Thanks Derek for that question. Tim says, JC, do you think Gamecock Nation will buck up and support their team with NIL? I'm a big fan of your stuff and agree with most of your opinions. I'm just a tad bit older than you and have been attending games since I could walk, so I know the history of the athletic programs pretty well. I hear you mention it's not the university's or Ray Tanner's responsibility to step up when it comes to NIL, and I totally agree. Do you think we have the boosters that will step up and support our athletes like other programs around the country? Well, I'm hesitant to say yes. As a fan base, we've always been behind the other big schools when it comes to donations and big boosters. For example, it seemed like half our fan base lost their mind when Hyman raises prices to keep up with the other schools in the SEC. I haven't kept up with NIL all that closely, but how can an average fan that doesn't have the big dollars help with NIL when it comes to supporting our athletes? Is it as simple as paying $500 for a guitar-playing quarterback to play a party at your house? Yes. If I sound ignorant, you don't. I apologize. Just haven't followed it enough to understand. Enjoy your work, J.C. Tim. <sighs> South Carolina's got guys to make this happen, okay? The problem is, and I think this is kind of – at times what separated Gamecock and Clemson people, um, you know, Clemson folks, I know some Clemson folks are from the upstate. I know a lot of Clemson folks, you know, for example, when they play, you know, and look, you don't know what may have happened had South Carolina played for a national championship. I mean, you know, this could have happened to South Carolina too. Clemson, you know, Clemson fans aren't necessarily as generous with their money when they're going seven and six and going to the peach bowl. Um, but you know, like a, like a buddy of mine, you know, they, they, they raised a hundred thousand dollars, uh, a piece to give the assistant coaches when they played for the national title. So that's what $900,000. Um, and I think they had one big, big money guy that chipped in, but, you know that, that that's the deal. Yeah, you know, and it's a different. You know, South Carolina fans, I think, are they don't like being told what to do, which I think is something that the state of South it's you know state of South Carolina sort of that way. <laughs> don't tell us what to do, um, even if even if what you're being told to do is totally you know going to help and all that. You know, sometimes and, and and look, I'm the same way. I'm stubborn. I mean, I, I don't like being told what to do, even if you're right and I'm wrong. That's the bottom line. Um, as far as the fan base losing their mind when Hyman raised prices, it was a temporary temporary pain for you know long term gain. Uh, I think the NIL, like you mentioned, though, is going to be much more about. Like you said, $500 for guitar playing quarterback to play a party at your house uh, here and there. Um, I think things like what Miami's doing are going to eventually be outlawed because that, that's that's just basically recruiting. Maybe not. But, you know, for a, a, a very successful business or a cluster of businesses to give 500 grand a year to 
help with recruiting or players or whatever. Um, you know, number one, <laughs> uh, you have to ask yourself, is this sustainable? And, 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 you know, I don't know what the financial situation is of those gyms in Florida, or if that's a drop in the bucket, or if that's just a big one-time splurge they're going to kind of do to get people in to work out. And they're hoping they'll make it back. I don't know what that means. 500 grand a year, you know, if you think about it, if you do it 10 years, that's, that's $5 million. <laughs> you know, do you have that? I don't know. But I think there's enough, you know, businesses and things like that, that if you, if you think outside of the box a little bit um, and don't wait around on to get any, <laughs> you know, guidance from the athletic department, because you're not, they can't, they can't. Um, then I think you could do enough at South Carolina. And just like, just like Beamer said, the advantage the Gamecocks have over schools that are not located, um, you know, in a city like Columbia is that there's a lot of opportunity around Columbia. You know, it's a decent, it's a, one of the larger markets in the NCAA. What's the largest market in the NCC? Nashville. You know, Columbia is around Knoxville, Baton Rouge, Lexington size. Then you have places like Gainesville and Athens and Tuscaloosa. And then you get to the smaller places like Auburn and Starkville and Oxford and College Station. Uh, College Station, though, is close enough to Houston and Austin where they're not going to, it's not going to matter. But, uh, you know, Columbia, Charleston, areas like that. You know, I, I think the Gamecocks have enough to, to get it done. I just, you know, it, it's such a new thing. You know, the question is, will they, you know, because, and that's why, you know, I'm not trying to be rude to anybody that keeps asking about name image likeness and Tanner and, and the administration and kind of pinning it on them. That That's not, you know, that's not me being defensive because I'm defending Ray Tanner from criticism. I'm just trying to point it out because I don't think people know or understand. Um, and so, yeah, Tim, do you pay a guitar player? If I, you, know, you have to work it through the, the player's agent or work it out with the player. So if you can't go through the university, but it's perfectly legal, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and look, I, look, with this kind of stuff, you know, you, you can't, you can get creative with it. And, and, and I think that, you know, what you want to achieve for the boosters out there or the people that care about Carolina football uh, is that you, you don't want to look like the South Carolina people aren't taking care of their players. Okay. Uh, and, and quite frankly, that's why the university builds facilities and, and spends 50 million on a building and, you know, 10 million on an academic center and all that. Cause when you're recruiting, you know, you go here, Hey, we'll take care of you here. Look at this Taj Mahal we have for you to practice in, or we'll take care of all your stuff, all that good stuff. Then you go someplace else that doesn't have that. And then you're like, huh. And all that impacts comfort level, which is what all recruiting decisions are based on. Um, and look, I'm not in favor of signing endorsement deals with incoming recruits. Watch other programs. If they're doing it, Go do it. I hope for the good of the game that doesn't happen. I think you should earn it at least. At least get on campus and go through a practice, you know. Um, watch what other schools are doing because because that's the one thing if you're South Carolina. You you don't want to sit here and, and, and everybody's like, well, 
you know, my buddy that, that went to Georgia, you know, made $80,000 last year because the Georgia people are taking care of him and, you know, all that good stuff. You don't want to look like you're not. Uh, and, and this is going to create another level of, of boosterdom, you know, and some people just aren't going to have, have the, the, the overwhelming resources to get it done. Uh, but if everybody kind of bound together, you know, out there in Gamecock land, you don't have to be a booster. You're just going to you know, care about the Gamecocks, care about supporting student athletes. I think it can definitely happen. And I do think that there are these, I don't want to call them micro opportunities because $500 is not a small amount of money. At least it's not to me, but these, these one-off opportunities that I think, you know, your average fan could do like, like, Hey, you know, come, I'm having a party in my, I'm having my birthday party for my dad. You know, this is an example. Um, like this guy could be like, I'm having a birthday party for my dad and I want Kevin Harris to come and give a speech and hang out, you know, for a couple hours or so, wish him happy birthday, take pictures with everybody there, pay him thousand dollars, two hours work, thousand bucks, you know, that kind of thing. And if, if you add that up, you know, <laughs> some players are gonna have a lot of birthdays to work on their calendar, um, stuff like that, you know? And, and I think too, uh, even if you don't, you know, necessarily do something like that, that kind of, you know, get on some of these guys, uh, social media accounts that, that have YouTube and stuff like that. And some of them have donation buttons. You can donate to my YouTube page or whatever. Uh, and give them five bucks here and there. You know, if enough people do that, you know, they're going to be raking in some money. So that's how I think it'll happen. I, you know, and, and look, again, there's a lot of questions about this stuff, a lot. So um, so we'll see sort of what happens. But I appreciate that email, Tim. And, boy, you've seen a lot of good football and a lot of bad football over the years. So here's to uh, 2021 being the start of uh, some uh, a renewed era of good football at South Carolina. That's all the time we have for today. Please go rate this five stars on the Apple podcast app. Some of you have done that lately, and I appreciate that. Uh, like to get to a certain number, all that good stuff. Don't forget, I help consulting. Don't forget Heritage Digital. I mean, speaking of businesses, you know, those guys keep this thing going. Um, and be sure to tell them that JC sent you. Uh, and look, costs nothing to get an estimate for your business and all that. So if you're looking to maybe save some cash so you can invest in an NIL opportunity for a student athlete, then, you know, hit up um, iHelp Consulting. Uh, hit up Daniel. Uh, again, he's 843-372-5713. Uh, if you're trying to get on that YouTube page and your network sucks and you, your internet's slow, uh, Hit up Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. And those two websites are ihelpconsulting.com and heritagedigital.com, two proud sponsors of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. So, yeah, so that's um, that's all the time we have, like I said. Uh, that NIL thing just kind of got me thinking. I wonder if, you know, I wonder if I could help in, in that regard, just kind of like, connecting people i don't know if i'm allowed to do that or not hmm, i have to check into it but uh if you guys off the record have any questions about it and you have like a specific question you want me to track down i could i could probably find out for you just be sure you put 
If you email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com, just put NIL private so I don't read it on the podcast. But um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know if I could help or not, but um, I'm trying to learn more about this stuff just like you are. I just know, I know this for a fact. You know, it, it started almost immediately with Ray Tanner better get a hand. Ray Tanner does the Ray Tanner, Ray Tanner, Harris Pestides, blah, 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 our administration. They've done all they can do, folks. You know, they contracted with a third party to help guide the process. You know, Ray can't go and sign a deal, an endorsement deal for players. I mean, that's just, that's not the rule state. That, I mean, and no, no athletic department could be doing that. Um, it's got to be, you know, the game, game kind nation. It, it sounds almost uncomfortable to say, too, because it's like, oh, so the, the fans and the boosters are going to, you know, spend money on it. You're like, well, and that and, and, and that been illegal since, you know, we started, we were born, we started college football. And that's supposed to be kind of, well, now no, it's kind of out in the open, um, at least with name, image, and likeness. So uh, that's the deal there. All right, folks. Have another episode for you tomorrow. Don't forget JC and Morgan tomorrow. Going to talk some ACC with Eric McLean. I'll be on with Keith. If you're a patron of his podcast later today, I encourage people to go spend the five bucks a month for that. Uh, also, check me on JB and Goldwater yesterday. Uh, their podcast uh, app should have all their episodes there. And be sure you listen to that show. It's a heck of a show. It's JC Sherbert. It's been Inside the Gamecast Podcast. Holla at you soon.